Good morning. Uh, my name's Lou, and I want to add my welcome to you. Just really glad that you're all here. I'm glad that we're here together. We've been uh, working through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we have said again and again and again that the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached, Jesus. And we've spent a long time, almost 30 weeks on it so far, working through these three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. And in it, Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of God is like. What's it like? He's, uh, he's been talking to us what it means to be a citizen in God's kingdom. What do kingdom people look like? What do kingdom people do? He's been talking to us about how, the kingdom, how people in the kingdom relate to God and how we relate to one another. How do we treat one another? How do we see one another? How do we respond to one another when we disappoint one another or hurt one another? He's been talking to us about what do we do with the stuff in our lives, our possessions, our goals and our ambitions, all of that kind of stuff. How do we put that in the right place so that it's a blessing to us and not an obstacle, not something that just sucks the soul out of us? We're now near the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter 7. And uh, today we're going to focus on verses 21 through 23 in chapter 7. But what's been going on for for the last few sermons and from basically chapter 7, verse 13 on is that Jesus is now bringing us to a point of commitment. He's asking us to make choices. And Paul, a couple of weeks ago, talked about the, the, the fact that we, Jesus tells us, commands us to enter through the narrow gate. And then Tom last week talked to us about um, what it means, what that looks like to enter through the narrow gate and be on Jesus' rough or road and the obstacles that come along the way. Uh, we were warned about false prophets and what false prophets look like. And uh, so uh, Pastor Tom talked to us about that. We're going to pick up today with verses 21 to 23 of chapter seven, but it's the same theme. It's coming out of verses 13 and 14. What does it look like to enter through the narrow gate and stay on Jesus' road and not get uh, knocked off or seduced off or distracted off, uh, off of that road, okay? So verses 21 through 23, chapter seven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So picture the scene. Jesus is uh, sort of projecting a little bit, talking about that day, the day of judgment. And he says, you know, here's what's going to happen on that day. There's going to be a whole lot of people. 
And they're going to be coming to me saying, hey, Lord, Lord, here I am. Let me in. Let me in. And Jesus said, wait a minute. Do I know you? I don't know you. He said, wait a minute. What are you talking about, Jesus? Did, 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 did I not? Did we not? Did I not prophesy in your name? Jesus, you know I did. Jesus, did I not cast out demons in your name? You know I did. Jesus, did I not perform signs and wonders, miracles in your name? Jesus, you know I did all these things. Let me in. And Jesus can say, wait. I never knew you. I never knew you. You may have done all these things, but you didn't do them in my name. I never told you to do these things. Away from me, you evildoers. If this is passage doesn't kind of make you pause and take a deep breath and kind of check your pulse a little bit, it should. <laughs> it's kind of a scary passage in some ways. So we're going to try to unpack it this morning and try to hear what Jesus really wants to say to us through it. We want to try to make sense of it. And to do that, I want to start with a couple. So what I read was the New International Version translation of this passage. I want to read a, passage, a translation by Dale Bruner, Frederick Dale Bruner. This is the way he translates this passage. Uh, not everyone who was saying to me, notice the way he puts it, not en- everyone who was saying to me, Lord, Lord. So the, he's, he's got the word, the, the verb tense, right? It's the present active verb. Not everyone who was saying to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Oh, no. It is only the person who is doing the will of my Father in heaven who will get in. Many people will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we, in your name, give prophetic teaching? And didn't we, in your name, cast out demons? And, in, and didn't we, in your name, do all kinds of miracles? And then I will have to confess to them, I never really knew you. Please, get out of my face, you doers of the very opposite of my teaching. And so we're going to be talking this morning, what is it that they were doing that was the very opposite of what Jesus is teaching? Okay? And then here's a translation or paraphrase maybe from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Knowing the correct password, say master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. Doing what my father wills. I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands starting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. 
You didn't impress me one bit. You're out of here. So how did these people miss the boat, to use Eugene Peterson's language? Let's begin by setting the context. I'm going to read, I'm going to go back and read again from the NIV, the New International Version, starting with verse 13 of chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you with sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And then again, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So what Jesus is talking about in these last uh, verses, this last section of the Sermon on the Mount, is that there are two gates. And there are two roads. And there are two destinies. So he says, enter through the narrow gate. And he says, watch out for false prophets who are ferocious wolves in sheep's clothing. They're trying to destroy you. Watch out for them. Don't be fooled by them. And don't be fooled by false followers who claim to know and follow Jesus, but whose attitudes and lives reveal they are false. Don't get fooled. Don't get conned. Watch out. Enter through the narrow gate. Stay on the narrow road. So here's the thing from our passage today. Not everyone who proclaims Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Calling Jesus your Lord doesn't necessarily mean he is your Lord, Jesus says. You know, Jesus is your Lord only when you do what he says. Only when you do the will of Jesus' Father who is in heaven.
You're going to see some uh, scripture passages come on the screen. You're not going to be able to write down the whole passage. Just write down a reference, okay, if you want to go back and look at it. But this is what uh, the Apostle John says in 1 John 1. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not know the truth, do not live out the truth. What does that mean? It means if we claim, but we do not live out the truth, we're just lying. If we claim relationship with Jesus, we call him Lord, but don't do what he says. He's not really our Lord. You can tell who belongs to Jesus by the way they live. You can tell who holds Jesus as Lord, not by what they say, but by what they do. That's what Jesus is saying. And so here are these folks knocking on Jesus' door and saying, let me in, let me in. And what Jesus is saying to them, hey, you guys are party crashers. You've got false ideas. He claims something that really isn't true. He says the same kind of thing. John says the same kind of thing in 1 John chapter 2. Those who say, I know him, but do not do what he commands are liars. And the truth is not in them. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lives. Jesus is not Lord. He's not your Lord if you don't, do not do what your Lord says. If you do not do what Jesus says. Okay? And then, but, but then they respond, what do you, why are you saying that, Jesus? Didn't we do all these things in your name? We prophesied, we cast out demons, we did miracles. Of course we know you. Of course we're doing what you say. Didn't you do these things? And the answer is yes, Jesus did those things. Jesus prophesied, he cast out demons, he performed miraculous signs, he told his followers to do the same thing, and they did it. They did those things. But Jesus warns, listen, there are gonna be other people who do these kinds of things. Matthew 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect, even the ones who are the followers of Jesus. See, I've told you this ahead of time. Or 2 Corinthians 11. For such persons are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. We are impressed by the powerful. We are. We're, in tri- we're impressed. We human beings are impressed by what looks big and bold and beautiful, what looks powerful. So we're impressed by people who say something that just seems like it's cool. It just, it, you know, God said this. And that kind of, we were impressed by that. Or we're impressed by people who, do things that require supernatural power. And it's, and it's not that it's wrong. It's not that 
the people of God don't cast out demons or do signs and wonders. We, that's been true in the church throughout history and continues today. But not all supernatural acts are acts of God. Some of them are counterfeits. That's what Jesus is warning about. That's what Paul warns about in 1 Corinthians. Some of them are just flat out counterfeits to, to deceive us, to take us down a path. And I would add, you know, when people, when you see churches growing, when you see uh, ministries happening, a lot of those are, be, uh, are because of the leadership, the guidance, the direction, the enabling, the equipping of the Holy Spirit. But some of them aren't. So just because something looks successful, looks impressive, doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that comes from God. We have to have a measure of discernment and ask what kind of fruit really gets produced from it in the long run. Does it produce people who look more and more like Jesus? And the problem with that is sometimes people wear sheep's clothing. They want to look like, they, like Jesus, but they really have a different internal thing going on. We talked about that uh, this past week. And then Jesus continues on in his Sermon on the Mount. And he says, hey, I just, I never knew you. I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoer. Why didn't, they, why didn't Jesus know them? That's the what, we have to unpack that a little bit. What, what does Jesus mean here? So he says, those who say I know him but do not do what he commands are liars and truth is not in them. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We've said that. First John 3, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So, part of the way you could tell whether somebody knows Jesus and is known by Jesus is whether they love people, whether they love God and whether they love other people. That really is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, Jesus is hanging all the law and the prophets. He's saying that you can sum up all of what it means to honor Jesus, to do the will of Jesus, by loving God and loving other people. Now, to back up a little bit, uh, Jesus begins this passage by saying, not everyone who comes to me and cries out, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. They do the will of my Father in heaven. Now what he's been doing through chapter five on is telling us something about what it means to do the will of my Father in heaven. So starting with Beatitudes, you remember the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? They will enter the kingdom, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What are these folks doing who are standing before Jesus saying, let us in, let us in. Did we not do all these things in your name? He's saying, huh, 
I, I told people to be poor in spirit. What I'm looking for is people who are poor in spirit. I'm looking for people who, are, who mourn over their sins. I'm looking for people who are meek and who allow me to lead them. I'm looking for people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm looking for people who are pure in heart. You're not saying anything about that. You're just talking about what you're doing. I think what these folks are doing is they're claiming their own righteousness as their entry ticket into the kingdom. They're saying, Jesus, aren't you impressed with me? All the things that we did in your name, aren't you impressed with us? And you say, no, I'm not impressed. I'm impressed with the folks who are humble and who are honest and who have integrity and who are merciful and gracious and loving and kind. I'm not impressed with miracles. I'm impressed with people who are broken and they know it and they come in their brokenness and say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. That's what I'm impressed with. That's what I'm looking for, people who are honest and humble. There's a whole lot of religious stuff that goes on in our world, and always has actually, where religious people kind of parade their religious acts before the world and look down on everybody else. And the truth is, all of us are tempted to do that. The more we get to know Jesus, the more we're part of the people of God, the more we start to get impressed with ourselves. And sometimes when we get impressed with ourselves, we look down on other people. And every time that happens, we're in danger of being those people who are crying out to Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform signs and wonders, miracles in your name? And Jesus can say, no, that's not in my name. What's in my name is humility and brokenness. What's in my name is living the way I lived. Jesus, who being very nature, God did not count equality with God, something to be held on, to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, laying down his life willingly, being willing to take on shame, even the shame of the cross. That's in my name. That's in my character. That's in my road, if you will, the path that I followed. That's what I'm asking my followers to do. I'm not asking you to be impressive. I'm asking you to be humble and kind and loving and gracious and honest. Being in Jesus' name doesn't tear other people down. When you're in Jesus' name, when you're following Jesus, what you want to do when you see something struggling, somebody struggling, is not point the finger and say, that person, they just don't have their act together. What you want to do is saying, hey, let me come alongside you. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. Let's do this together with Jesus. 
Jesus uh, told this parable in Luke 18 about this, this uh, religious guy, Pharisee, and this other guy who was kind of notorious as a sinner. He was a tax collector. Nobody likes the IRS. Apologies to anybody who works for the IRS. <laughs> we, don't like, we like you, we just don't like what you're doing. <laughs> so, but, you know, the first guy, the religious guy says, Lord, I thank you that I am so great. I thank you that I'm not like this other person, but I do this and this and this and this, and this guy lays out all the, all the things he does for God. And then the tax collector, the sinner, says, he can't even look up. He just says, Lord, Jesus, help me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the posture. The text Jesus says, it was that person who went away justified. It was that person who was heard by God, the one who said, help me. If you want to be heard by Jesus, if you want to be known by Jesus, you've got to let go of your, your, your accomplishments. And you've got to stand before Jesus and say, help me. Now, so how do you enter the kingdom of heaven? It's by doing the will of Jesus' Father in heaven. And Jesus has laid that out in Beatitudes. And I know we've been spending a huge amount of time, but I'm going to read them again. Listen to them. He's saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In Matthew 5, chapter 20, Jesus says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. He's not talking about doing it better than the scribes and Pharisees, do more than what the scribes and Pharisees. He's talking about a completely different kind of righteousness. The kind of righteousness he was just talking about in the Sermon on the Mount is completely different. The scribes and the Pharisees tried to be impressive. They tried to do everything they could think of and then they held it over other people's heads. 
That's not the kind of righteousness that gets you into the kingdom of heaven. It just isn't. First Corinthians 13, one through three. Listen to how Jesus puts this, or how Paul puts this together. You all know, a lot of you know this passage. The passage is often read at weddings about love. But pay attention to the first part of it. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying the same thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying there's a kind of righteousness that, gets, that just tries to be impressive and it gets you nowhere. He's saying that if you do things, even things that need supernatural power or that look really cool in our world, look really kind of impressive, but you don't do them out of love, you're not doing them in Jesus' name. It's just not Jesus. If it doesn't have love in it, it doesn't have Jesus in it. If it's not motivated by love, it didn't come from Jesus. Now, I said at the beginning that if this passage doesn't make you kind of take a deep breath and kind of check your life a little bit, it ought to. At the same time, I think that's true, so I'll say it again. (laughs) But it ought not to be a passage that terrifies you and makes you wonder if you can know Jesus. Because this is also what Scripture says. 1 Corinthians 8.3 For whoever loves God is known by God. Galatians 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, then he continues. The point is that if there's anything in you that truly looks to God and loves God, then you need to know that you are loved by God and in fact God loved you first. And if there's any part of you that knows God, then you need to know that you are known by God first and most completely and welcomed. So, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. If you love Jesus, you have nothing to fear. If you trust in him and not in your own righteousness or religious deeds, you have nothing to fear. If you're trying to do Jesus' will, if you're trying to be honest with him 
If, and you're expressing mercy and care and love toward others, you have nothing to fear. You are known by God and welcomed into his kingdom. Now, it's complicated sometimes. St. Augustine tells us in his book, The City of God, that the, that the people of God are actually citizens of two kingdoms. We're We live in the kingdom of this world, but we're also living at the same time in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world isn't fair. It just isn't fair. In this world, in this kingdom, we don't all start in the same place. We don't start with the same advantages. Some people start way ahead, and some people they start with more than two steps, more than two strikes against them. That's the way it is in the kingdom of this world. In this world, people scratch and claw and try to get ahead any way they can. And maybe in this world it works to try to be impressive, to try to put it over somebody else. But that's not the way the kingdom of Jesus is. In Jesus' kingdom, we all start in the same place. We start at the foot of the cross, all of us. Where Christ's death on our behalf covers our sin and brokenness and guilt and shame, covers all of that. And we end up in the same place. We end up in the presence of Jesus who welcomes us by name, by name. He knows our name. And he wraps his arms around us for all eternity. Amen. Amen. It's not about being good enough. It's not about knowing enough. It's not about getting your act together first. It's about acknowledging that you need help. It's about just coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, help me, save me, Jesus, forgive me, lead me. Jesus, change me because I can't change myself. Jesus, help me to love you and follow you and become like you. That's what I want, Jesus, help me. So let me ask this. I'm asking this now to those of you who aren't sure if you're followers of Jesus. Maybe you know you're not yet a follower of Jesus. But you're at the place today where you want to be. If this is what you want, if you want Jesus, if you want Jesus' kingdom, if if you want to be real before Jesus, and you want Jesus to be real in your life, If you want to turn your life over to Jesus, I ask you right now to just stand up. Just stand up. Because I want to pray for you. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for my brother standing. 
And maybe for some others who are ready, they want Jesus, but not quite ready to stand. But I thank you for my brother. I pray that you would surround him right now with your presence, that your presence would fall on him, that he would experience love and grace and peace. Pray that you would fill him, encourage him right now. Pray, Lord, that you would protect him. I pray that you provide for him. I pray that you would uh, strengthen him right now. Thank you, Lord, for him. What I'd like to ask is that at the end, even right now, if you want to come on down, I'd love to talk with you, get to know you, and uh, answer whatever questions you have and give you some ideas about how to keep going with Jesus, okay? Now, here's for all of us. So you've been followers of Jesus for a while. You know Jesus. You trust in Jesus. But maybe sometimes you've gotten a little bit confused or a little bit distracted and you want to start afresh with Jesus today. You want to commit yourself to being people who come to Jesus on Jesus' terms, poor in spirit and willing to mourn and meek and all of that kind of stuff. If you want to make a fresh renewal of your commitment to Jesus, you can stand up too. And we'll pray. Lord, thank you again. Thank you for fresh days, fresh starts every day. Thank you that you're doing stuff in us. Thank you that you are shaping us. I pray for those who are standing who want to make a fresh declaration of their love for you and their desire to become more and more like you, that you'd help them in a deep way, even today. Continue to help him, help us to move on, to become more and more like Jesus. Help us, Lord, to come before you with all of our stuff. Help us to come before you, Lord, with trust and faith. And help us, Lord, to rest in your goodness and love and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.